This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. The risk for Hawaii with the novel coronavirus is still low, but the number of cases in China and abroad continues to climb. Today, the news that the doctor who saw backlash over expressing concerns back in December has died from the disease in China. Dr. James Ireland serves as the medical director of a unit that covers paramedics and firefighters at the Honolulu Airport, which is under the Department of State of the State Transportation Department. He sat down with us yesterday afternoon to talk about screening at Honolulu's airport. Dr. Ireland applauded the federal government's response and the systems now in place since we saw the outbreak of SARS and avian flu years ago. He helps us to understand the screening process. More than 10 years ago, the Department of Health partnered with the Department of Transportation and the CDC to screen for flu at the airport. Now, what they're most concerned with is avian influenza, which is a, a deadly form of flu that is not in the United States. We've never seen it in Hawaii. But we want to make sure we screen for anybody who possibly would come here for, with that. So the CDC works with the um, airport paramedic from American Medical Response Ambulance Company, who's at the airport 24-7. And, and that paramedic responds mostly to medical emergencies. People fall, chest pain, heart attacks. And they respond along with the firefighters, the airport uh, rescue firefighters, to take care of people. But part of the duties of the paramedic include working with the CDC for screening. So over the last 10 years, if someone came on an international flight and had a fever, or ILI, which is influenza-like illness, cough, sore throat, fever, body aches, they would be swabbed. And that swab would be sent for analysis and, again, looking for avian influenza. But what we'd find usually is, is just regular bread and butter influenza, the kind that people get all the time in many communities. And, and actually, unfortunately, people do die also from influenza, just even the regular kind of bread and butter kind, so to speak. So that's what that program is looking for. So the, the procedures and the policies were in place. So when this new virus uh, came on the radar a few weeks ago, we quickly shifted gears and the same protocols in place, but now they can swab for coronavirus. And in, additional, in addition to the paramedic, because we were concerned that many more people may need to be swabbed, the airport firefighters were all trained by the Department of Health to do this swabbing and also the proper protective equipment to wear, decontamination, that sort of thing, if they come in contact with a foreign traveler who may have this new novel coronavirus. So that has started. The other thing that's changed at the airport is the CDC across the country at all the airports. And I, I might add that the CDC is not at all airports, and the quarantine stations is, is only at certain airports, and we're fortunate to have them here in Hawaii. But they have limited staff. And so when you talk about screening possibly a whole plane, screening hundreds of people instead of just one person here and there, um, they needed help. So nationally, American Medical Response, the ambulance company, has contracted with the federal government to supplement the um, CDC officers in the screening. The CDC is um, in charge. They make the determination whether people need to go to quarantine or not. But now we have a more robust response at these 11 ports of entry that the United States government has determined where people coming in from China, uh, foreign travelers, will come in if they're allowed in. And the rules are different. And, they, and they, they're evolving where if, you're a, um, if you've been to China within the last two weeks, my understanding is they won't even be permitted to have entry at this point. However, an American citizen or a family of American citizen obviously will be allowed in, but there are precautions in place that the federal government has put in place to protect everyone else, and that's 
swabbing, screening, quarantine if needed. Part of the screening process is what's called non-contact temperature screening. So it's an infrared device and it just takes your temperature. And what's interesting is some of the hospitals in town, not in response to this, but just in response to flu, do that for staff and visitors. So for instance, I went to a hospital yesterday to visit, to round on some patients, and they have someone, a nurse, I believe, at the elevator and they want to make sure no one is entering the hospital with a fever. So she just pointed a little device at my forehead, said that my temperature was normal, put a sticker on my arm that said I can come into the hospital, and that's for staff too. And again, that's in response to flu, but similar type of procedures because these viruses all cause similar symptoms. And, and by viruses, I mean things like influenza, parainfluenza, adenovirus, coronavirus. All viruses all cause, can cause fever, sore throat, cough, pneumonia. But really, someone walking through the door, you can't tell one from the other, and you need special swabbing to sort that out after the fact. It's a concern now because this coronavirus is novel, probably not found in humans in the past, so we don't have immunity to it. And, that, and that's why I think locally there in China and, and now in many countries throughout the world, it, it is spreading. So your Kuliana right now is the airport, but what's the situation, let's say, with our ports? The vast majority of people enter here through an airport. However, ships do come here, uh, fishing vessels with foreign crews, merchant vessels with foreign crews. Cruise ships don't come here very often, and those also need to be looked at. And there's now procedures in place to also intercept those foreign nationals that come in or may stop here. The good news on the ships is it takes a little while to get here. So part of any quarantine period or symptom-free period would be obtained just in the fact that it was maybe at least a week to get here. But um, those are also being watched. Right, and we had that one situation in Japan where a whole cruise ship is uh, quarantined because they had some passengers who are sick, and I think there are even uh, some Hawaii people on board there, so they're kind of caught in that quarantine period. And that's what I understand as well. There's you know, 10 patients on there, and, you know, I guess there could be worse places to be quarantined than a cruise ship, but um, just the whole concept of forced quarantine is something very new in the United States. I don't I think from what I've read, we haven't had that in more than 50 years, um, where people can be forced, Americans that are free, can be forced to stay in a place to protect uh, society and, and everyone else. So definitely new for a lot of us. The other thing that we're cognizant of is even though flights won't be necessarily allowed here with foreign nationals, we also know that flights go over Hawaii from Canada to Australia, from Asia to the mainland U.S. to South America. And I don't know if you remember a few months ago when there was turbulence on an Air Canada and they were on their way from Canada to Australia and they made an emergency landing here to get medical help. So that would be another scenario that we've planned for, that a plane that had no intention of coming to Hawaii now has someone on board, could be with a fever or it could be something like chest pain or another emergency, but they have to come here. And then we didn't expect them. And now we have procedures in place that if they are foreign travelers that we will um, screen them and, and, and swab them if necessary and the whole procedures that have been laid out for this illness. Can you give us some other context in relationship with SARS and what we went through here back in 2002, 2003? SARS is another coronavirus, as is MERS. And those to me were a little, well, not a little, they were more frightening by all means. Because what I, and I'm not a, I'm, a, I'm an internist, I'm not an infectious disease specialist, but I've studied this and I've read about it and tried to learn from other experts. But I look, when I look at these diseases, I look at how contagious is it? And to me, from what I've learned, coronaviruses, this novel coronavirus is pretty contagious and it's similar to the flu. And they say mathematical models predict one person can infect two or three other people. 
whereas the flu may be the same models. It might be three or four other people. So along the line, very similar to the flu in transmissibility. But even more important to me, as I look at if you get this, how likely are you to die from it? And that, to me, was, is, is what differentiates a lot of these um, viruses. And the published data on coronavirus, this novel coronavirus, is about 2 to 3%. Now, I think the fatality rate is actually much lower than that because I think they're, while they're tracking probably most of the deaths, they're not tracking, in my opinion, most of the infections. They're only tracking the ones who are sick enough to go to the hospital or the ICU. So people who maybe have a fever and stay home or just feel little chills, I don't think they're being counted. And so I have a feeling that the people affected is much more than they're reporting, whereas the deaths may be close to accurate. So I think the fatality, I personally think the fatality rate's less than 1%. However, it's still not benign. It's not a cold. It is serious. And, and so circling back to what you mentioned about SARS, the SARS death rate is much higher than that, 20%, 30% or higher. And MERS, the death rate is higher. Avian influenza, the death rate is higher. So to me, those are the, the, the really the frightening coronaviruses and, and, other, and other ailments that could, that could affect humans. The other good news about these things is, is they can be um, vaccines developed. And I know when, unfortunately, when people are looking at developing vaccines, there's a, uh, what can be done as far as, you know, investment versus return, and is there a profit, and these companies, you know, don't want to invest a lot of money and resources in it if they don't have a return back, which is, which is unfortunate. However, um, I'm sure there is already underway somewhere in the world um, interest in developing a vaccine for this novel coronavirus. Everything I've heard, it might be a year, but that would be something that could protect us if it does escape the kind of the confines of China where it is now. For me, like SARS, these, these, these more fatal diseases, Ebola, those are much more likely to be fatal and have, and for me, so then the vaccine is even more important. But even for coronavirus, even if the fatality rate is 2%, that's still two in 100 people that get it. And, and again, it's usually older people with other medical problems, but still, you, 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 don't, you don't want to see anybody die from, a, from an infectious disease. During SARS, there were plans in place. If someone gets sick in a hotel, what do you do? Can you quarantine in a hotel? If someone's sick, they need quarantine. They need to be in a medical facility. So that would be one of our hospitals. And our hospitals generally are pretty full. They're not completely full, but and they have isolation rooms, but they don't have a ton of isolation rooms. So that's that's one issue. If sick people need quarantine, if well people need quarantine, uh, generally you don't want them all in the same room because if one's sick, you don't want to get the other 49 sick. Um, so they do need individual rooms. My personal opinion is I would not put them in populated areas, especially that's to, you know that our tourism industry depends on to keep people wanting to go there. And so I think the hotels. Um, although possible wasn't necessarily the best place to have people. I really like the idea of the military bases. They're secure. They, people can't get on and off freely. They're used to having troops there and feeding people and taking care of people. So I really like that idea. I don't know a lot of the details about that personally, but to me that seems like, and that's what they did in California. People went to a military base. And uh, we have military bases here, good ones, and I, I think that's probably the best idea where to put people. But one of the things I'm watching is what's happening in the, in the mainland United States. Are they able to contain the patients there and not let it spread? Are we, and we haven't fortunately had any fatalities in the mainland United States. And I would hope that our fatality rate would be lower than some of the places because we have better hospitals. We have ICUs, ventilators, intensive care physicians. We have so much more robust access to health care that I'm hoping that if it does come into the United States that it's um, we don't see the same death rate that they saw in China. But I see cases spreading now in Singapore, 
I, you know, I haven't seen today what's happened in Japan and, and Thailand, but that's definitely being watched. There was a death in the Philippines. And so some of these other uh, countries in Asia, that's going to be very telling what this virus is going to do, what we see happen in those places over the next week or two, and then what restrictions perhaps on travel we may need with other countries as well. That was Dr. James Ireland, medical director of the Honolulu Airport, talking about the screening underway at ports of entry into the islands. 